Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the story of Genesis as it's unfolding uh, just before our eyes. Lord, I've enjoyed um, just seeing uh, the story of the patriarchs come together. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this chapter of uh, at Jacob and Esau uh, reuniting, Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, to maybe feel the feelings and the fear and the concerns that they felt. I pray, Father, that you would help us to learn from their lives, um, uh, apologies and forgiveness and reconciliation are things that are are, are difficult things, and um, they are there are relationships that we have that are strained and and we we pray father that uh, through your word and your spirit in our lives that you would help us lord uh, as your word commands to live um, at peace with all people so so far as it depends on us we recognize that in this world uh, we might not always be able to to reach that place of reconciliation but we ask lord as your children who have received forgiveness from you and reconciliation to you. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to move our hearts and our desires to a place where, uh, where, where our longing and our, our posture is that um, of forgiveness and apologies, that we would be people who are quick to apologize, uh, to make amends. Um, it's difficult because we can be prideful, we can be stubborn, we can be hard-headed in, uh, in seeing circumstances around us. And so we pray that you would, you would humble us, Lord, and help us uh, to love like you. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, Genesis 33, verse 1. Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with them, So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And he put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Father, we do uh, thank you for the story. We ask that you would help us now, and it's in Christ good name we pray. Okay, just to sort of set the stage so we remember where this, where the story is as we sort of jump in. I think it was two weeks ago, Jacob had had enough. Uh, he'd been under Laban. Laban had, had continually uh, misrepresented himself, took advantage of Jacob. And so Jacob said, I'm done. I'm out of here. Let me work another six years uh, to to build some wealth of my own, we'll do it this way. If it's agreeable with you, I'll take I'll take the worst of the animals and the ones that are spotted and black and blue and the wrong colors, you know, the, whatever they were. I'll take the least desirable ones. You take the better ones. Uh, God prospered him, and then at the end of six years, he decided that he was going to bail, and so he bailed sort of without saying goodbye because he didn't want to sort of interact with his father-in-law anymore. And so he takes off. He's confronted by his father-in-law. Um, uh, you know, long story. You can go back and hear the story if you if you so desire. But they decide that they're going to part ways, and they'll never see each other again. They they drew a line in the sand, and if one one of them went over that line, there'd be consequences. And if the other one uh, crossed over, there'd be consequences. 
And so as they make that deal, Jacob turns around, and as he begins his journey home, he recognizes he's going from one situation that's bad to a situation that is worse. There's a map behind me. I probably will reference it a couple times uh, throughout the day. Uh, but just so you can see the big picture, this is uh, the, the land of Israel. Egypt is to the south. Uh, Jordan is to the east, modern-day Jordan. We have the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee up to the north. Jacob is basically heading from the, from the north down to the south. Uh, Esau would be coming from Edom, which is the, or the land of Seir, which is Edom, which is south of the Dead Sea. And he's going to make his way up there. They're going to sort of meet here. And then Jacob is going to head west. The big uh, green circle is kind of where ultimately in the next couple of chapters where Jacob ends up and where Jacob began his, uh, his, his, uh, his journey. The, the top of it is Bethel, and that's where he, he had a pillow that was a rock, just to sort of orientate yourselves if that, if that helps you. So he's heading down. He realizes he's got a situation with his brother. He's trying to figure out how he's going to make amends uh, with him. Uh, the, the word literally uh, in chapter 32, verse 20, when it says that I will appease him with the present, that, that word is kippur, which means to atone. So he wanted to atone for the wrong that he'd committed against his brother. And you ask, well, what was that? What did he do that was wrong? Well, he kind of took advantage of him. In some ways, his brother was sort of a not the brightest guy when he gave up his birthright with, over the bowl of, of stew. But then later, the last time they saw each other, as his dad was getting near death, he uh, was going to give out the blessing. And through the mother, uh, Jacob decided to dress up like his brother, go in there, make the dad a, 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 a meal, uh, lie to his father about who he was. And the father gave Jacob this blessing. And by the time Esau got back, realized what was going on, he was furious. And he basically made a vow that as, as long as dad is alive, I'm not going to touch my brother. But as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill him. Like, I am going to kill him. And that was the only thing that gave him peace. Mom got, got wind of this, got wind of this, mom got wind of this, and said, you got to get out of here. So flee, flee to my brother, go up to Laban, everything will be okay. Well, that uh, was a different story we, that we looked at. He spends 20 years up there, and he comes back, and he's like, I have this angry brother I got to contend with. The last time I saw him, he said he was going to kill me. And as he's going back, he has all of this wealth. He sends out his representatives. He says, go before me, bring these gifts to atone for the wrong. Let my brother know that I'm coming. Refer to me as his servant. There's this posture of, of great humility. Um, and, and he sort of gets the stage set. He moves everybody out in front of him. He spends the night alone. Uh, you could say he was being a coward, or you could say, you know what, if the fight's going to come, let it come to me and let me suffer the consequences alone. I, I sort of sense that was the situation. And so there he is, the sun sets, and some dude comes up on him and starts wrestling with him. And uh, Jeremiah's looking at me, Jeremiah, this is his favorite. I, I bet he could tell the story way better about, like, I can even, like, I'm thinking, like, he's getting, like, wet willies and stuff. He probably has more technical terms for what I'm imagining. But it's like this brawl. And it goes all night long. And and Jacob, on his side of the coin, he wasn't giving up. But the reality is that we know this is the angel of the Lord. 
Um, deity is given to this individual. And so deity has strength. This individual, I believe it was the pre-incarnate Christ, could have just taken him out from the get-go, but he plays along and lets Jacob think that he's he's doing okay. But he sees that sun's coming up and he's like, hey, it's time to end this. Let's let's end this, let's end this little wrestling match. Jacob wouldn't give up. He touches his hip, puts his hip out of socket, permanently disables him. Jacob still wouldn't let go. And he's like pleading for this blessing, pleading for something and and asking who he is and yada, yada, yada. And then he gets a new name and that's where we are. So now Jacob, it's, it's morning time. He's hobbling. He's had this encounter with God and we pick up in verse one. So now not only is he a little bit afraid of his brother showing up, He's now a little crippled, which is not how you want to go into a big fight. Um, so we read, then Jacob lifted his eyes and he looked after a night of no sleep, wrestling God, crippled in the hip, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So right, right away, like maybe you read ahead and you see how this is going to turn out. But when I read this, I read this through the lens of like coming from a, a dysfunctional family and old wounds. And uh, I don't always assume the best about what's coming my way from family. Like we, right? I mean, maybe it's just me. Like we kind of walk on eggshells. We get guarded. I read this. And if I was in Jacob's shoes, I'm, I'm bracing for the fight. The last time I heard from my brother, he was very clear what he was going to do with me. He's not coming alone. He's coming with 400 guys. I imagine that Jacob was feeling like a battle is coming. I think I'm misjudging Jacob, but I'm just telling you how I would respond. This is not good uh, as I see it. So he divided up the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maids. So he has the four women. He gets everybody sort of divided Amongst themselves, he put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Uh, it's been speculated by a number of people that he sort of puts them in sort of priority of who he cares about. I can't seem to make a case against this, uh, but he kind of puts the ones that he's okay losing up front first, and then kind of like at the very, very back, there's the little baby Joseph, who he we know he cares about, and we know that he prioritizes amongst the others, and then the wife that he cherishes deeply is in the very back. Now, in this case, he doesn't he doesn't flee even further behind them. Like, let me get behind all of them. As he gets them all situated, we see that his movement is toward Esau. And so, verse three. But he himself, that's Jacob, passed ahead of them, that's the four wives, all of the children that he has sort of laid out, and he bowed down on the ground seven times until he came near his brother. And so I don't, like, clearly there's movement. I have no idea where they are in the story, how far away they are from one another. They certainly are in visual range. And I don't know... uh in my mind, I'm not sure what's happening. I don't, get the, I don't get the feeling that this is like he bowed down seven times and then he kept walking. My, my, my idea is that he's getting closer and closer and closer to his brother, stopping at intervals, getting down on his hands and knees, bowing down before his brother, doing this so that the, like, it's kind of like a disarming posture. 
Like, I am not coming to battle. I am not coming to fight you. I am not coming in any sort of way to rage up against you. So that the brother, as he's making an approach, he's like, okay, this guy doesn't look like he's ready to fight. Um, And I think because of his posture going into this, I do think for myself, there's a huge lesson into this. I, I get certain phone calls from people, and it's like, hey, can we meet? And it's like, yeah, we can meet. Let me, uh, let me, let me arm up. Let me, like, let me think through the argument that's going to happen. All the things that have gone wrong over the last decades, so that when we come down, I'm ready to come out swinging. And I think that we do this. I heard laughter. So everybody who laughed is just like me in this. Like, but he's coming into it very disarming. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. I don't want to engage. I, like, I come in peace. And I think that there's a lesson for us um, like to learn from this. A, a way that I've gotten better of this over the years is whenever I hear somebody that says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something, I say, okay, that's fine. But in this meeting, just to make it clear, I'm just coming to listen. I'm not, don't, don't expect a response from me because if you ask me to respond, then I'm going to give you like, I'm going to vomit all over you with my emotions. And so let's just meet and then let's plan on another meeting so I could have a, some time to kind of process whatever you say. Because if you want me to respond to you in this meeting, what's going to happen is while you're talking, I'm responding in my mind, getting ready to, to like fight the other half of the argument. And so he... He, I don't know, the Bible just doesn't tell us Esau's side of the story. We don't know what the last 20 years has done to Esau. I don't know how Esau is coming into this exchange. Uh, we do know that Jacob is very much afraid of his brother. We know that his heart, he is very concerned. He is expecting conflict. And so he's going out of his way to make peace, to disarm, to show him that he's sorry, that he's not only is he sorry, but he's providing uh, gifts to atone for, to pay back, to restore that which he has stolen from him. And so then we get to verse 4, this very beautiful, ver- like just beautiful. At some point, they get close enough to where it's like we can start closing the gap quicker. And then Esau ran to meet him, and he embraced him, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him, And they, the both of them, wept. Um, Like, like this is the scene that you imagine, like on the news, uh, like a close description of, like some of the images that come to my mind are uh, a service member getting back from deployment and seeing their, their family. Like that sort of like, the scene that brings the people who watch to tears because we all understand the sort of the emotions that are there. Um, recently I saw, you know, like on, on social media, a lady that was reunited with baby lions that she raised, like she raised baby lions and they had to go to the zoo. And then like 10 years later, she meets these lions and they come running up to her. And I'm like, I would be so out of there. <laughs> like, and then it's like the lions like jump on the lady or lick at her. And I'm like, this lady's absolutely nuts. Which it might be true. Like I still, but it was like this, this reunion of like happiness and joy. And like clearly Esau is kissing him. They're, they're kissing each other. They're holding each other. They're crying. There's, there's like so much 
like mending in this scene, clearly God has been moving on both sides for them to reach this place of, of forgiveness, uh, of, of, of recognizing that, hey, you're forgiven, I apologize, you're forgiven, and beginning the process of reconciliation. Um, I don't know how far the reconciliation is, is going to go, the thoughts on my mind now, so I'll say it. They're gonna, it's going to get awkward when they part. Um, basically, just like reading ahead in the story, when they, when they come to part, the brother Esau is going to say, hey, come with me, journey with, journey with me, and Jacob gives a couple like excuses of, like, we'll cover it then. But ultimately, Jacob is going to head to the west, and then they're not going to see each other again. Like, the next time they'll see each other is at their father's funeral. That's all that the Bible records is that, that their dad dies, and then they do the funeral together. And so they might not have been, like, bosom buddies, but it seems that the Bible seemed – they got to the point where there was at least peace. There was peace between them. And, and you know, the old expression, like, the, the past was the past, and now they, there's, no, there's no bad blood, as, as so far as we can tell um, – in this passage, but this verse four is just beautiful. They they run, they meet. There's there's no like accidental punching Esau on the nose just in self defense, like thinking that he was like like this is just true embrace, emotion, love, forgiveness. And then Esau lifted his eyes, like as he's as he's like hugging, kissing, crying. Eyes are all blurry. He looks up and he sees the women and the children. He's like, "Who are all of these people with you?" Like you, when you, it's like when you left, you had nothing. All all you had were the clothes on your back. You're gone, and now you come back with like so many people. Who are these people? And Jacob said, "The children whom God has graciously given your servant." So now Jacob is a, a changed man. Um, he's still going by Jacob. Uh, when we go back to Abraham, when Abram, so there was Abram, then God changed his name to Abraham. And then the narrator, which is Moses, referred to him as Abraham throughout the story. Jacob is a different situation. Last week we see he gets a new name. He's called uh, Israel. But the author of this is still going to call him Jacob for a few more chapters. He's got some more kinks to work out. And then he'll... His name will finally be changed uh, permanently to Israel. Where he, actually, the author acknowledges him as Israel. Um, I forgot where I was going with that, but it was beautiful in my mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, so back to the story. Oh, God, gracious God has graciously given. Like, like he's got a Godward heart now. Like this isn't like, look what I've done for myself. It's, it's very much, I was away. I've encountered the God of our father and our grandfather, and he's been super gracious to me. He has he blessed me beyond what I deserve. He, his favor has been poured upon me, your servant. So still, as he's addressing his brother, he's in this posture of humility. God has blessed me. I have this stuff, and I am your servant. I am not over you. Then the maids came near with their children and they bowed down. Leah likewise came near with her children, and they bowed down. Uh, so we see two waves so far. We see the women and the children. They go up to Uncle Laban or brother-in-law Laban. 
or not Laban, excuse me. Um, Esau, it's too many names. I can barely get your guys' names, like my family names I always mess up, and it's, it's not personal. Um, but so they go up to Uncle Esau, and they're like, hey, nice to meet you, and they bow down. Everybody's got this posture. And then we come to the, the favorite, and it's very interesting. Now, I don't necessarily have an answer for this one. This time the author puts it backwards. Like, So I don't know if this is a, a transition to start putting like Joseph sort of front and center uh, to begin the story that's going to come in chapter 37, the life of Joseph, the fourth and final patriarch that we'll look at. Um, but afterward, so we see that the maids came, then Leah comes, and then it says Joseph and his mother came. So Joseph is placed in the first spot, sort of very different in order, and they they bow down. So he Esau gets the opportunity to meet the family, like all, like his wives, the maids, the children, they all come. I'm imagining they're giving hugs and handshakes and introducing themselves. This is just a, a beautiful family reunion. And so then, um, after they all come near in verse 8, Esau, he said, uh, what do you mean by this company by which I have met? Now, this question isn't dealing with the people that he's meeting right now. He's talking about his journey. As he's making the journey up, he's talking about the servants that went out with all of the animals, that, that, that went forth with the animals. And they say, hey, if they ask, who, where are you coming from? Who are you to say, hey, uh, we come from uh, your servant, Jacob, and these are, these are gifts to you. This is, he's trying to atone for you. These are, these are things that you have received. Um, referring back a couple chapters, I think it was like in uh, uh, chapter 32, like in verse 13, I think or maybe it was further back, you know, the part when all the animals are given out. I had referenced my buddy um, who invested in cattle, and during Bible Bingo last week, somebody's like, hey, how'd that investment turn out? So I text my buddy, I'm like, hey, you remember, like, I talked about you in church today, and I talked about your investment, about investing in all these cattle, how that turned out. His response was, it ended out horrible. Zimbabwe confiscated the land, took all the cows, don't invest in cattle in Africa. Like, <laughs> it was his sort of like, so it didn't work out well for my buddy. So that's what he's talking about, these, all of the cattle and the stuff, this gift that was given. He's like, like, what do you mean by all of these gifts? What, what is the purpose of this? <clears throat> and Jacob is like, this, this is my atonement. I wronged you. I, like, he takes ownership. This isn't like a, an apology of, well, I'm, I'm really sorry that you were offended when dad gave me the blessing. Like, that's like the worst kind of apology, you know? Like, I'm sorry that you're having such a hard time with what's happening here. He very much is saying, like, I wronged you. Like, I stole from you. I deceived dad. I blasphemed God. And I'm trying to restore that which I did wrong. And he, and he said to him, to find favor. This is... The, this is the, the word like for grace. Like I'm trying to find grace in the sight of my Lord. Like what I deserve, what I did to you deserves your wrath. What I did to you was wrong. There should be consequence. I can't undo what I did, but I'm trying to, 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 to offer a gift, not just say I'm sorry, but I stole from you and I'm giving back to you that which I took. Trying to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. And he's trying to graciously say that, that, like, listen, the past is the past. The 20 years is behind us. We were young. We were stupid. We did things that we regret, like, or maybe you did. You know, this is Gunner being like, 
But he's saying, like, it's not needed. But, but Jacob isn't going to let it go. Uh, Jacob said, no, please. If now I have found favor, like if I've received grace from you, like if I've received your forgiveness, if my apology to you is acceptable and, and that our relationship is good, please take this gift. Take it. Like I need you to take it. Um, no, please, verse 10, I have, if I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand, for I see your face as one sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. Please take the gift which has been brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have plenty. So, so it seems that this is going back to that wrestling match with God the night before. Remember, he named the place the face of God, like he's seen the face of God. He said, when I see you, I see the face of God. Like last night, God schooled me in this wrestling match. I have this hit because of this whole situation. Like I recognize that what I have isn't because of my own scheming, because of my own merits, because of anything I've done. It's because God has been merciful to me. He's been gracious to me. He has poured out his grace upon me. And I recognize that this encounter that we're having is because God's hand has been working through this. This could not have been done on my own accord. So please, when I look at your face, I'm reminded at that wrestling match with God and seeing his face and how graciously he's, he's handled me. Please take this. God has provided this gift to restore our friendship or relationship. It's beautiful. And then thus he urged him and he took it. Okay, fine, you can pay the bill. Like, I'll, I'll accept the gift. I don't need the gift. We were good even if you didn't. But it's just this beautiful picture of, of restoration at, 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 at certainly at, at some level. Um, we see that there's an, a, a, an apology. We see that forgiveness is granted. Whether or not there's reconciliation to the level, like, where they're, like, bosom buddies and, and like, because from this point, I'm, I'm kind of giving this disclaimer because from verse 12 to the end, they're going to kind of go their separate ways. And they're not going to interact with each other, each other as far as the scripture records to us until their dad dies. And we're like, all we have there is like, like however many words, like uh, Jacob and Esau buried their father. Like however many words that is, that's about the, the, what we get about their relationship going forward. But up to verse 12, everything is, is good. It's beautiful. There seems to be restoration. Verse 12, then Esau said, uh, let us take our journey together and I will go before you. Okay, now let's carpool home. It's kind of what they're, let's, like, let, let us carpool home. Esau becomes the father of, of, of Edom, the Edomites, which is down south here. That's not where God, that's not where God told Jacob to go. God Throughout this whole experience, going back 20 years, going back a few like days beforehand, he's supposed to return to the land in which he came. He's supposed to return to somewhere in this green circle. Like Esau, Esau doesn't know that. Like this isn't like he's just saying, "Let's let's carpool up. I'll go before you. I'll bring you bring you back into my hometown. It'll be it'll be wonderful." And in verse 13. What I see is in these relationships where you have like progress is like 
there's progress, there's healing, but there's still like that flinching within, like the walking on eggshells. Like you can't just like if like other relationships, you just say, hey, I appreciate the offer, like, but God told me to go over here, so I'm going to go over here, no problem. But you're so worried about like the history of friction that instead of just being direct about it, you try to like tap dance around what's going on. And so I see this this response um, as being like a, a very gentle, like, disengagement of, like, ah, no, thank you. Like, well, you know, like, but he said to him, so, so Jacob says to Esau, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the flocks and her, herds uh, which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Like, listen, I got kids. They, they travel slow. I, I have nursing animals, like, I really, I can't go too fast or they'll die. Like, just go ahead. Just, you just head back home. I'll be okay. Like, I'm doing what God has told me to do. I I wasn't coming back here to sort of encroach on your life. Like, he just kind of makes this sort of like excuse. Um, And then in verse 14, it kind of transitions into an actual lie. Um, And he says, please let my Lord pass on before his servant and I will proceed at my leisure according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. Um, so he basically says, you just go ahead and we'll just take our sweet merry time. I got the kids, I got the stuff. You just go, go back home and, and we'll catch up to you. So this is a bold-faced lie because his plan is to cross over the Jordan River and to head into the land of Canaan. Uh, remember, this is the Dead Sea, um, the Sea of Galilee up north. So he knows he's heading to where God told him. But here he, he, he this is, a, I mean, it's just a lie. I mean, I, it's not a, like a white, like this is just, he tells his brother, you go south, I'll go south. The Bible doesn't give much commentary on this. Um, so I'm not going to, I mean, I probably speculated more than the, like I definitely have speculated more than the Bible speculates on this. Um, and then in verse 15, Esau is like still playing hardball. He's not taking like the subtleties of like, hey, just like I'm, we're good. Esau said, please let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. Like I have these 400 men I came with. Let me, let me leave them with you. It's sort of like implied they'll give you protection. They'll help you out. They'll, they'll be with you there. But he, but he said, what need is there? Uh, let, let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. And the Lord isn't capitalized. He's speaking like, just let me find grace. Let me go on my way. I don't need your protection. I don't need these guys. We'll be good. It seems like they're like, maybe this is just because of my family, how things go. Like you, you have peace, and then it's just like you're right there, and then all the thing, everything like unravels, and then you're back into a fight again. And so it seems like they're like right on this precipice of like this whole thing like falling apart, and they're going to start fighting again. But it's like, please, just let me find favor in your sight. You can take your men. I'll like, I'm going to go my own way. I'll catch, I'll catch up with you. Um, and so then we're told in verse 16 that, that Esau returned um, that day on his way to Seir, the Edom, the place down south, and um, Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth um, and built for himself and made booze for his livestock there in that place is named Sukkoth. This is a Jewish holiday today, Sukkot, uh, where the, the Feast of Booze is another thing. So he makes his way across uh, to the to the west there, to Sukkoth, which is just on the east side of uh, the river. And so he, he stops there. He builds a temporary house 
uh, boost for his livestock, the place named Sukkoth. Now, Jacob came safely to the, the city of Shechem, so he goes across the river to the west to the next red square or rectangle, uh, which is in the land of Canaan. So you have the land of Canaan is that whole area there. He goes west across, gets to Shechem, where God met with him before is Bethel. We'll see that in two chapters where God says, hey, like go down there or they get down to that place and um, he'll go back to where God first talked to him and dealt with him. Um, and that's the same place where he will eventually be called Israel permanently. Um, okay, verse 18, I'll just read it again. So Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padam Aram. Padam Aram is basically where the arrow beyond the is, like modern day Iraq, north, wait, northeast is where he came from. So he moved from Padam Aram. He came down into the land of Canaan. He obeyed God and returned to where he was supposed to be, kind of. We'll deal with that next week. Um, he bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, uh, Shechem's father, uh, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, um, God, the God of Israel. So he makes up an altar. Story ends kind of beautifully at this point. Next week, we've got a hard chapter. That's why we're having donuts. I'll just kind of like smooth, you know, like we'll <laughs> end with something sweet. Um, so like, 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 what do we do with this passage? This passage is beautiful, but it's difficult when you allow it to like invade your own space and your own life. When I look at the whole of the Bible, like the first verse that sort of like bubbles up in the midst of this, this passage that's dealing with very bad blood amongst brothers, family members, is Romans twelve eighteen, And there the Apostle Paul says, if possible, like, and it sort of acknowledges, like, it's not always possible. But if possible, so far as it depends on you, so you, you have control over you. Like, you can control you. You can't control out there. And so, so far as it like depends on you, we are instructed to be at peace with all men. Uh, this week, I, I read, um, I don't know who said it, but it said that an apology is one-sided and forgiveness is one-sided and reconciliation is two-sided. And I thought that was beautiful. Um, so to put this, like, to look at this from, like, Esau and Jacob, Jacob wronged his brother. And so what he has to offer is an apology. And so he can apologize, and he can get right with God by offering his apology. He has no control over how his brother responds. And I do think that when we offer up our apologies, like we're ultimately seeking to please God. And God can see beyond the surface level. He can look into your heart. He can look into your soul. And I don't always think that like apologies or forgiveness like happen instantaneously. It, I think it's like can be a journey at times. Like the harder that the wrong is, I think that the longer that journey is to where you can fully release the individual. And so we can apologize, somebody can wrong us, and we can say, you know what, before God, I'm going to 
I'm going to release them. What was that word I said? And you mentioned this like a while ago. He's like, you, you said something about Native Americans and the word. I use it all the time. But I for like lost it. What was that word? Yeah. Yeah, an Eskimo. And what does it mean? And guess where he learned that from? The guy who can't remember it anymore. Like, that's like, no. But it's like beautiful. I'm like, he said this at Thursday night Bible study. I'm like, that's beautiful. Where'd you hear that? He's like, you said it. You preached I'm like, I was clearly quoting somebody else, but that's really good. I can see why I quoted it. It's like, just to let it go. Like, and that doesn't mean that they've apologized to you. Um, now, reconciliation, the Bible speaks a lot about consequence. Like, there, there, there are things that, that, that happen where you can have forgiveness, you can... You can apologize, you can have forgiveness, but the relationship might not ever be restored because of the day. Like, like in very extreme situations, I think of like sexual abuse and, and things like this. Like you can forgive, but that doesn't mean that a relationship comes back ever the way it is. But you can have apology, forgiveness. David, man after God's heart, was forgiven by God, yet he, had, he suffered the consequence that he wasn't able to build the temple. Like, and that was a consequence, totally forgiven, he totally apologized, but there are repercussions sometimes for actions. And so, like, how do we do that? Like, how do we reach this place where we can really be at peace? A few years ago, you guys all probably remember this. this there, there are these times when you get glimpses into the, like, the hearts of, of people's walk with Christ, and it's humbling. Like, I don't remember how long, it could have been, two, it, could, it was probably like five years ago, it could have been 10 years ago. Time has a funny thing with me these days, like, it, like the guessing how long ago it was. But when that young white man walked into a black church and the prayer meeting, do you guys remember that situation? And at the end of the prayer meeting, he ends up killing a whole bunch of people at the, at the prayer meeting. He's taken into custody, and at the trial, when he was being sentenced, there was an opportunity for people to speak to him. And there was like a, like these black women from the black church who were related to these individuals that were killed, they spoke to, the, to this young man. And it was the most powerful thing I think I've ever seen. They are talking to the individual that com- committed like a very heinous act. This guy murdered, like it was like something like seven or 10 individuals in the South Carolina church and cold blood individuals who were praying for him. And these ladies looked at him and said, you know what? I am a sinner just like you. Jesus died for my sins. And I pray that before you die, that you can meet my Lord and Savior and come to repentance and experience the forgiveness that I have experienced. Like, we love you. We forgive you. We want you to get right with God. And like just talking about it gives me goosebumps. Like, I'm like, I don't know that my walk with Christ could mature to that place. Like, and maybe in that moment, his grace pours out in us and through his spirit, we're able to like offer this sort of forgiveness. But I think this is what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, when he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, highlight the word forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So the beginning point we're told by Paul is that in Christ, you found forgiveness. You were an enemy of God. You hated God. 
You were against God. Everything you did was against him. God showed you your sin if you're a Christian one day, and in that moment you recognize his holiness and your lack there of it, and, and, and really your great sinfulness, and you're standing apart from him, and then you receive the gift of forgiveness. And I pray that you have received this forgiveness, that you have been regenerated. If you're auditing Christianity at this point, I pray that you would reach the place where you would accept Christ as your Savior because ultimate forgiveness is available to you. And if you've received this forgiveness, it should affect how you live your life. That those who have wronged you have not wronged you to the same level that you violated God's holiness and that you violated him, and yet he forgave you. That's this new standard. And so when I read this verse, I think of those ladies who looked at that individual who slaughtered their friends and family members and said, we forgive you, we love you. What we want to see above all is that you come to understand who Jesus is and that you would be saved. And they, of course, said, well, we, you're still going to go serve a life sentence or whatever. Like, there was, there, like, there was consequence. Like, there, like, this isn't like, but to reach that point, like, they didn't say, we're so happy that you're just going to rot until you die. and go. Like, their heart was, we've received forgiveness. We want you to find this forgiveness. It's powerful. We don't have time to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But at the very end of it, verses 17 through 21, in that passage, we are told that we who are in Christ have been reconciled to God through his blood, that through his blood, we're no longer our old people. We are new creatures in Christ. And as we've experienced this regeneration, this newness of life, he has then placed us in this life, to be his ambassadors, to go forth and to share the good news, to share about what Jesus has done. This ministry of reconciliation is what he calls it, so that we would be used by him to reconcile the world uh, first and foremost to God. And then as we experience the reconciliation with God, then reconciliation with one another is made possible only because of his blood. With that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this story of these two brothers, that they're, I mean, this is a long history of bad blood. It started out in the womb, that that they were squabbling with one another, leading to its pinnacle around 40 years old when Jacob really took advantage of his brother and his father and maligned you. And so some 20 years after that, so we're talking about 60-year-old men who we know that Jacob encountered you, and through his encounter with you, it put his heart into this place of where he could truly apologize, he could truly seek to restore uh, that which he'd done wrong, that who he'd wronged. And so, Father, we pray that you would so move in our lives that we would learn this lesson from Jacob. That if there are people that are coming to our mind now that we know we've wronged, if it is possible, Lord, I pray that you would provide a way um, so that we could 
verbalize our apology, if there's financial loss or some sort of loss that we would be able to restore, um, to actually restore what we've wronged. Father, as we look at the, the man of Esau in today's story, who we don't know much about, there doesn't seem to be evidence of his knowing you. But yet in this story, there's so much to learn from him. That he had actual reasons to be upset at his brother who had wronged him. And yet he apologized, he accepted his gift. Uh, there was a mending. And so, Father, we pray uh, for these relationships that we may have in our life that, are, that, that there's still tension. And, and maybe it's our heart that we're not willing to, to forgive yet or to let go of the wrongs that happened to us. Father, I do pray that you would help us to release uh, these wrongs into your care, into your hands, and that we would... Uh, truly forgive deep within us that it would be gone from our memory. For we know that in this posture, it's the only place where we can be healed. Bitterness leads to bad places. And so we pray, God, that you would help us um, to be able to be a people who are forgiving, a people who apologize, a people who desire reconciliation so far as it depends on us. Uh, We ask that you would help us to honor you in our earthly relationships. And it's only by uh, your grace and your mercy and your transformation of heart that we're able to do that. And so we ask God uh, that you would work in our lives in this way. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.